This message is entitled, The Tribulation Temple, and is given by Zola Levitt. I'd like to open in prayer. I'll pray in Hebrew, the language of our Lord, and then I'll translate for you in English. Baruch HaTor Anoi, Eloheinu Velohei Avosenu, Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzchok, Elohei Yaakov, Elohei Yeshua HaMashiach, Melech HaOlam. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of Jesus, the Messiah, King of the universe. Amen. The material on the temple included in this recording uh, is taken largely from the Moody Press book, Satan in the Sanctuary, written by Dr. Thomas S. McCall and myself, and from the ECRF film, The Temple, and from our personal experiences on the scene in Israel. Now, in talking about the uh, Third Temple of Jerusalem, we must distinguish it both from its forerunners and from other Jewish temples which are found all over the world. 3,000 years men have fought on the temple site in Jerusalem. The site is uh, what the Bible called Mount Moriah in the time of Abraham, and it was on this mountain that he was commanded to offer his only son Isaac in sacrifice. Uh, the site has uh, always been uh, in controversy. Nations have warred over it and built their temples on it. Several uh, religions have come and gone on this same piece of ground. And at present, the exciting news is, of course, that Israel, the Jews, the chosen people, have recovered the temple site, and they did this in the 1967 war. They've held it then for the last seven years. Tracing the history of that remarkable site in the old city of Jerusalem, from uh, the time of Abraham's offered sacrifice, uh, we find a thousand years later King Solomon building the magnificent first temple of Jerusalem on that site, and then the Babylonians, uh, of course, destroyed that temple, and then the second Temple of Jerusalem was built on that site, later uh, remodeled by King Herod, and this is the temple in which Jesus preached. And that one was destroyed by Titus and the Romans in 70 AD. All of this happened according to prophecy, as we shall see. Then uh, after Titus, there was for a while a Roman temple on the site, and then finally the Moslem Dome of the Rock, built in 691 AD which still stands on the site. It's there today. That dome was used uh, as a church for a time in the Crusades when the uh, professing Christians of Europe tried to rescue the Holy Land from whom they called the infidels. And they did, uh, for a hundred years, manage to convert the dome to a church and worship in it, but inevitably it went back to the Muslims, and until 1967 was held by them. The dome then has been standing 1,300 years. It's quite a building. It's still used for Muslim worship. Although the Jews hold the site, they respect the Muslim privilege to go to their Dome of the Rock to pray. 
and they do this daily. Then uh, we have something about the future of this site in the scriptures, and it will be the political, military, and religious future of man. That is, it will be the center of it. The Antichrist, the coming uh, son of perdition, as the Bible says, will uh, proclaim himself God in this tribulation temple. He will ignite the world to the war called Armageddon at the end of times, and Jesus will return at that time to the Mount of Olives, which stands just adjacent to this temple site. And he will sweep away the third temple and there build his own house on the earth, the Millennial Temple, the fourth temple of Jerusalem. To review all that, we've had two Jerusalem temples already that were temples of God, that is, uh, built and utilized by the Jews, the chosen people. Then we've had uh, a Roman temple and a Muslim temple. The Muslim temple is still there. But in the future, we will have two more temples of God. The third, called the Tribulation Temple, again built and utilized by the Jews, and desecrated by the Antichrist, and the fourth, called the Millennial Temple, in which Jesus Christ will rule as sovereign on earth. The third temple, the Tribulation Temple, is of course of great significance to everyone on earth. It is the place where the Antichrist will attempt to rule the world from. In that way, it's significant to all unbelievers, because uh, this, of course, will ignite the Armageddon. To the believers, the coming of the third temple is the announcement of the tribulation period. And, of course, our Lord, the scripture tells us, will return for us, take us off the earth, before the tribulation period. So we may very well see this temple started, or conceivably even functioning, but we know it has to be standing in the tribulation period for the Antichrist to come and desecrate it. So the Jerusalem temple... The third one, the Tribulation Temple, will announce to us the end times, the fulfilling of God's word, the return of Jesus to his church. So that naturally brings up the question, how soon is all this going to happen? Are they going to start the Tribulation Temple right away? Well, the possibilities of uh, rebuilding at present are much more exciting than they have been for since the last temple went, which was in 70 A.D. There was just uh, no possibility for 19 centuries. The Jews were dispersed throughout the world. They were uh, everywhere in the world, uh, worshipping as they could, uh, persecuted, tormented, shunted from country to country, but always uh, patiently praying for the restoration of things as they once were. There's a Jewish prayer to God that says, Restore us with things as they once were, which refers to the great days of Israel as a nation uh, in the reverent times of King David, King Solomon, and through the whole millennia uh, before Christ when uh, the Jews were a nation of the world in Israel. Well, the 19th centuries went by, and as God's word promised, the Jews were regathered. Israel was again made a state in 1948, and the prayers were answered. 
At this time, uh, the Jews began praying for a new temple, but again, the possibilities weren't very good because Israel was a state, but Jerusalem was in Jordanian hands. The old city was uh, not a Jewish community. It was still held by the Jordanians, and the worship uh, was entirely at the dome uh, by Muslims, and the Jews simply couldn't go in even though they held Israel. But in 1967, the Six-Day War, the Jews fought Jordan, Israel won the war, they overran the temple site, they captured it, and then the prayers have been more to the point, now we have the land, God give us our third temple. In June of 1967, virtually everyone was asking, will the Jews rebuild the temple? somehow, despite the fact that the Dome of the Rock is occupying the temple site. Uh, Time magazine ran an article asking that question. Rabbis throughout Israel exhorted congregations to believe that the temple would be restored and soon. As for the Dome itself, why, uh, it has to move. There's some controversy about this. That is, some people believe the Dome can stay there and the Jewish sanctuary be built right beside it. There's a lot of room on the site. It's 34 acres up there. But the position of uh, most scholars on this is that it would be inappropriate. The Jewish Holy of Holies, the buried sacred room where God was said to dwell in the uh, Jerusalem temple, is not precisely under the dome. It's a little ways to the west of it. But the uh, dome is sitting on the place that the sanctuary itself, the, the worship building, is supposed to occupy. At best, uh, the dome and the temple would be side by side, and this would be highly inappropriate for a site. So the thinking is that the dome has to move. Perhaps there will be an earthquake, perhaps a military action, perhaps the Arabs will someday elect to dismantle it. And take it to an Arab city where it would have more hospitable surroundings for the Muslims. But in any case, uh, the dome is scheduled to move because God's uh, temple has to be on that site. Now, there are excavations going on down below by the western wall. The western wall is really a retaining wall below the level of the temple mount. And since the Jews have recovered the site, They've been digging in the ground there, and they've been finding some fascinating things that reflect temple worship as it was in the great days of Solomon's temple and Herod's temple. And the thinking is that these excavations are really aimed at rebuilding. It's hard to say whether it's merely uh, archaeology with uh, people justifiably fascinated with their past and, and searching the, in the ruins for relics of it, or whether it's a testing of the ground for structural purposes, uh, finding out about temple worship so that it can be reinstituted as soon as the third temple is ready. And there's some secrecy about it. It's, it's an actual political issue. Naturally, the temple of the enemy is uh, sitting up there on the mount and the diggings are going on below. Uh, the Jews do not dig under the dome, to my knowledge, and there's no danger of the ground being weakened or anything like that. They are digging considerably to the west of it. But 
the information they're finding out from their digging is being used. It's being taught in the uh, Hebrew universities and uh, yeshivas, the, the schools of Jewish learning, so that uh, should there be a third temple, why there will be many who will be competent in temple worship. A great deal has to be discovered. We don't know the exact system of weights and measures that the Bible uses, what their value is in modern terms, but there are ways in discovering uh, relics under the ground to find these things out. Hebrew as a language hasn't changed very much when uh, inscriptions are found, as they have been, on the walls beneath the ground level. Uh, they're found to be uh, Old Testament scriptures or prayers from the law that are easily read by the modern Hebrews. Uh, Hebrew is almost alone in the world in its changelessness. It just goes on, and if a Hebrew prophet were to come down the streets today, stepping right out of the Old Testament, his message would be perfectly clear to the people. My co-author and I saw fascinating things when we toured the underground diggings. We had the permission of the government to look down below there and take a movie camera. Mal Couch and Jerry Calloway of ECRF Films uh, went down there to film the scenes for the film, The Temple. And there we saw the diggings in action. And it was intriguing. The dark, cold caves underground and uh, the workers, uh, not, not really uh, uh, archaeologists or, or miners, but just uh, Orthodox Jews doing a labor of love, were down there on a voluntary basis, uh, digging in the rocks and examining what they found and ever progressing underground, finding the long history of Judaism. We saw a room identified as the Sanhedrin in the time of Herod's temple. In other words, the very room in which our Lord was tried. Uh, we walked uh, down ancient passageways and we found an old man in prayer. He'd gotten permission to be in the caves underground at the spot which was closest to the buried Holy of Holies. It's uh, buried, uh, of course, on the mount above, and it was calculated that this spot where the old man was in prayer would be about adjacent to where it lies. Uh, he must have been 90 years old, a white-haired man, uh, in deep supplications, closest to the place where he regards that God lives on the earth. We toured also the uh, so-called outdoor diggings, uh, the southern portion of the western wall. The uh, diggings are, are not in underground caves, but right out in the sun. And there they have uncovered the Hulda Gate, which uh, Jesus and his disciples undoubtedly used to enter the temple. Uh, the stairs that lead from the gate uh, and that area was used by the working folks, the plain people. And the eastern gate, was, uh, which is more convenient to the sanctuary, was used by the wealthy people and the high priests and so forth. We found the money changers booths uh, there at the outdoor diggings, or at least the site where they were. And it was easy to see the geography, how the Hulda gate and its stairs lead past the money changers booths. And we could picture the Lord uh, entering through the gate and taking the stairs on his way to the sanctuary uh, in a very uh, devout mood to commemorate a great Jewish feast and then passing by the money changers booths and we could understand his impatience. 
there is, uh, as I said, some secrecy, though, about just what these diggings are doing. Are they planning a third temple, or is it mere archaeology? And we were able to question some of the uh, people working. There was uh, an American girl at the outdoor diggings. Those outdoor diggings are done largely by students who volunteer from various countries. And uh, this girl uh, thought uh, that they would build the new temple. Her words were, yes, I think they will. And uh, we don't know that, that she had any inside information, uh, just uh, what she had heard and what she had seen working at the site. The rabbi who directed our filming of the excavations and was kind enough to grant permission for us to go past the police barriers and so forth stressed the delicacy of the situation. And so I want to say clearly that we saw no evidence of a building about to be built or uh, ground being tested or anything like that. There have been funds collected for the rebuilding of the temple. There have been rumors about uh, stone being collected at places to be ready for the temple. And uh, we have seen no actual uh, evidence of any of that. We have just seen archaeology. The idea of the stones being collected uh, in this country uh, to be shipped to Israel is a little bit strange. If there's uh, one thing Israel has been blessed with over the ages, it's stone. Israel has an enormous amount of natural stone, and every building in Jerusalem is made of stone. It's, as a matter of fact, a matter of municipal law. Uh, the city is imperishable because of that, and the building material is uh, cheap and available. King Solomon used largely domestic materials when he built his tremendous temple in the past, and Israel is still well supplied with them. We doubt very strongly if uh, the rumors about stone being collected uh, in America or anywhere else uh, is re are really true. Now, it should be remembered, too, that not all Israel lines up behind the idea of building a temple. This was a largely secular nation and a secular government. The Orthodox Jews want to have a temple, but the more practical or, let's say, more worldly uh, government control is, is not heading for a controversy like that if they can help it. The controversy about rebuilding is really a four-sided controversy with the Muslims, the Christians, the Jews, and God all having something to say about this. For the Muslims, of course, the message is clear. The dome must stand there. It must not move. If it is threatened in any way, uh, the Arabs will take up arms. Now, the Christians are divided on the question. Some Christians feel that a third temple is really unnecessary to God's plan uh, because a temple is a house of sacrifice, and Jesus has already satisfied the uh, doctrines of sacrifice. But, of course, it must be remembered that this temple would be built by the Jews for their sacrifice. They do not believe that Jesus has fulfilled the uh, requirements of their own sacrifice, so they would go ahead in any case. And we must say that the Bible shows that uh, there will be a third temple. We're going to discuss that a little later. Now, as for the Jews, the very Orthodox say that only the Messiah can rebuild the temple. They still await the Hebrew Messiah. They do not accept Jesus as the Messiah. And they feel that the Messiah has to come and uh, supervise or supernaturally rebuild this temple himself. 
then there are problems about uh, who will staff the place, the priesthood. And uh, after all, the old temple required uh, priests of an unimpeachable pedigree. We find in uh, Deuteronomy 10, 8, and 9, the tribe of Levi being set aside uh, to minister unto the people and bless them in God's name. They were the uh, priests. I'm one of those. My name in Hebrew is Zalig Fival ben Yosef Leib Halevi, Zola Philip, son of Joseph Leonard, the Levite. And the thinking is, uh, among the circles that want the temple to be rebuilt, that uh, those Jews who bear the ancient tribal names would serve in their ancient tribal functions, so that I could be an authentic priest of the temple, along with the other Levites. There are people named Cohen and Cone and so forth who uh, are of a kingly tribe, high priests. And uh, others of the ancient tribes still remain at least in name. Well, another problem though among the Jews is uh, the idea of sacrifice, animal sacrifice, which is considered sort of primitive. And uh, not every Jew would like that kind of religion to be done in the Holy Land. Some call it slaughterhouse religion and so forth. But the law is very clear, and the Jews still observe the law. The uh, Pentateuch in the Bible gives the requirements for temple worship, and presumably uh, the Orthodox would want to carry them out in, a, in an appropriate setting. And the final problem, of course, the final side of the controversy is God's word. And God's word has the last word. We're going to uh, explain as, as we go along here what it says in the Bible about the existence of a third temple. We should point out that while there are a lot of uh, difficulties, controversies about the rebuilding, there are also some incentives, uh, modern-day incentives for uh, the rebuilding of the temple, at least among the Jews and the Christians. The Muslims, of course, uh, uh, have no position favoring the temple, but the uh, Christians, uh, many of them, see it as prophecy being fulfilled, which it would be. If the third temple stands there, it would justify a great many prophecies. It would confirm the word of God, and it would set the stage for the return of the Lord. And it would also serve as a fine witness to Jews in this way. If the Jews had a temple again, functioning like the temple at the time of Paul, then they would have their vivid temple types right before their eyes, the priests fulfilled in Jesus and the sacrifices fulfilled in Jesus. The book of Hebrews brilliantly explains to the Jews of, of that day how their temple types reflect Jesus as the Messiah and how he fulfilled them. But the Jew of today can't see those temple types. He has no temple. So if the temple were uh, to be rebuilt and would function in the same manner that it did in Jesus' time, uh, then the Jews could read the book of Hebrews with great understanding and it could be taught to them that their worship has been fulfilled. It would be a great witness and a great harvest might be possible. So for that reason, uh, many evangelical Christians feel the temple should be rebuilt and soon. Now, the Jews... For them, there is first an emotional reason, and it's the answer to 1,900 years of prayer. Every Passover throughout this long, long dispersion, which no other people has experienced, the Jews have prayed next year in Jerusalem. 
Well, that that has come to be, and uh, the Jews can now freely go to Jerusalem, of course. But the point of Jerusalem is the temple. It's more than just the capital of a nation. It is the site of God's house. And so the great Passover prayer next year in Jerusalem would really be satisfied if the temple would be rebuilt. And then uh, another reason is uh, simply tourism. It's a modern concept, but it's uh, a great basis of Israel's economy. And if a third temple were built there, there would no doubt be a stepped-up tourism and, and immigration to Israel. The law of Moses does require a devout believer to make three pilgrimages each year to celebrate Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles in the temple. And Jesus did this. He walked all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem, uh, either through the Jordan Valley on some occasions or through Samaria, where he witnessed to the woman at the well. This trip is nearly a hundred miles in very hot country, but our Lord would not have dreamed of omitting the grand feast, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And when there is a temple in Jerusalem again, Jews who take their uh, doctrine seriously will make these three trips per year and go to the temple for the appropriate worship. And this, this would help the state. Uh, no doubt the, the many Jews that are conservative or reformed, the, the more liberal, would not uh, make three pilgrimages a year, but they would tend to come more often. They would probably at least want to see Passover done once in all its glory at the house of God. At the moment, Israel is a small nation, not even three million people there. There are more Jews in New York City than there are in Israel. And there are more Jews dispersed throughout the world than there are in both. So the Jews really are still dispersed. The figures that we gave uh, in Satan in the Sanctuary change periodically, but we had pointed out in there that there were three million Jews in Israel probably a little more than 3 million in New York, and the other 7 million dispersed throughout the world. Israel does need more of her own. Perhaps a temple would bring them home. And the third uh, possibility of uh, rather incentive for the Jews to rebuild would be a political stabilization of the state. World Jewry would be united in common temple worship. Where, wherever there are Americans, they, uh, they may be living in foreign lands, but they are oriented to America, which has its central government, uh, Washington, D.C., and its Congress and its White House and so forth, uh, which all of them uh, uh, observe and, and are loyal to. And uh, if wherever uh, a Russian is, uh, the Kremlin is in Moscow, and wherever an Englishman is, the palace is in London. But uh, for a Jew, it's not the same thing. Uh, most Jews really haven't got a clear idea of what there is in Israel. The idea of a temple, the uniting common factor, would be a way of making world Jewry look to a homeland. There was a time in the scriptures, you recall, when uh, there were temples built at Bethel and Dan in the northern kingdom. The Jews worshipped some in Jerusalem and some in Bethel and Dan, and this was terribly divisive to the nation. Well, the nation's even more divided today with there being no temple 
or you might say a long stream of individual temples the world over holding to different doctrines. Well, the central temple is badly needed. So it would stabilize the state. So that is an incentive for the Jews. Now, getting to what the Bible says, what God says about this tribulation temple, there are four major references to its existence and to what's going to happen with it. And the first of these is in Daniel 9, 26, and 27. Daniel's talking about the times of the end when the Antichrist will desecrate the temple. And he says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of that week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. This concludes Side A. Please turn your cassette over for Side B. Now that's an important statement. Sacrifice to the Jews can be done only in the temple. The reason they don't do sacrificial worship today is that they have no temple. You recall that the sacrifice of Isaac was on this very site, uh, the offered sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ was on this site in the Temple Mount. He was sentenced to crucifixion. And uh, the Jews from 70 A.D. and to the present uh, have had no temple and so they don't do sacrifice. Now when Daniel says that the Antichrist will cause sacrifice to cease, he implies that there must be, or he says for certain, that there must be a temple uh, because it's the only place the Jews sacrifice. It's from this very prophecy, the uh, so-called 70 weeks of years prophecy, that we learn that the tribulation period is to be seven years long. That is Daniel's one week. The way Daniel uses the term week, the, the Hebrew word means uh, set of seven, and it is seven years. And uh, we see that the Antichrist will cause these sacrifices to cease in the middle of the week, which is... Uh, after three and a half years of the tribulation period has gone by. The next reference uh, corroborates the first one, and it's in Matthew 24, 15, and 16. And uh, the Lord is uh, talking about the prophecy that Daniel made, and he's saying, Where ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Now here we have our Lord talking about the holy place. Now that is a very definite place in the temple. It's a temple room. The way the Lord uses the statement, he can only be referring to a standing, functioning temple. Uh, the passage, Whoso readeth, let him understand, is a parenthetical, and it seems that the Holy Spirit is saying, let us look into this uh, subtle matter with great care. The next reference was by the Apostle Paul, who also referred to the Tribulation Temple. And this is in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, let no man you, uh, deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, 
or that is worshipped. So that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Paul refers to the temple of God. And of course he's talking about the Antichrist and the end times. So there again we see that there is to be a temple of the tribulation period. Finally, we go to the book of Revelation, Revelation 11, verses 1 and 2, and John is talking about the matter of a temple, and he's talking in the portion of Revelation devoted to the tribulation period. And he says, There was given to me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. So John is to measure what he refers to as the temple of God here in the tribulation period. Note he says so the Gentiles will tread the holy city under forty and two months. Well, forty-two months is three and a half years. And this agrees exactly with the uh, Daniel's estimation of the the one half of the tribulation period where the uh, Antichrist will desecrate this temple. Well, the four references uh, agree very well. They are very clear. Each one of them is uh, definitive about this temple. So this is where we have our scriptural basis for the existence of the temple. It's getting so, of course, uh, in the progress of events in the world that we can nearly foresee the tribulation temple uh, as we discussed but we wouldn't have had to do that people have been foreseeing it since the time of Christ uh, or since the time these references were written in the scriptures uh, because of uh, God's word now for a proper appreciation of what the Jerusalem temple is supposed to be it's good to look back at the first two temples this is by no means just a building, or what we think of as a church. This is some mighty work, and uh, takes time to build, and has to be built by certain prescriptions of the Jewish law. And, of course, it should uh, reflect the glory of the past temples, uh, be one of them. So, looking back at the story of the first two temples, of course, we start with uh, King Solomon's mighty work, which is built... Uh, in the 10th century before Christ. And this was a quadrangle with a number of buildings. It uh, covered the 34-acre site. It uh, was a magnificent construction of cedar beams and uh, gold was spread lavishly throughout. There was a main uh, sanctuary which had in front of it uh, what was called a porch. And this uh, porch was really an enormous tower, 180 feet high. It would qualify as a modern skyscraper. And it was made of solid stone. Today when we build a 20-story building, which would be comparable, we stand up uh, a lattice work of steel and so forth, and uh, lighter materials, as light as we can get them to take up to that height. But Solomon took solid stones. It took 150,000 laborers seven years to accomplish this. So the temple was really a wonder of the ancient world. It was a magnificent structure. It predates the great temples of Greece. The people, of course, were greatly moved. The dedication prayer by uh, King Solomon 
which appropriately be began the worship, which opened the temple to normal worship, is one of the great moments in Scripture. It's found in Second Chronicles 6, 12 to 14. And it's rather like the Lord's Prayer. Solomon, too, asks forgiveness for his people's trespasses and deliverance from evil. He speaks to God in front of the assembly. The scripture I referred to reports, And he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in the heaven nor in the earth which keepest covenant and showest mercy unto thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. And he prays with humility, But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. And he dedicates the temple. He says, Now therefore arise, O Lord God, into thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength. And God appeared to Solomon by night later on, and he accepted the temple. He said, I have heard thy prayer, and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. Well, it remained a house of sacrifice, and a fine one, for some four centuries. But as will happen, and this is uh, perhaps a lesson for us all, the worship grew superficial. Isaiah and Jeremiah, the prophets, constantly reminded the people that God required strict adherence to the law. But uh, somehow the worship got uh, a little bit lax. The Jews were lulled into a sense of false security by the fact that they were able to defend Jerusalem uh, against several attacks by pagan nations, uh, Assyrians and Egyptians and, and the Syrians. They... Uh, just took it for granted, perhaps, that uh, God was on their side and they were impregnable. Jeremiah really sounded the alarm and uh, even uh, named names and places in his uh, prophecies about the temple was uh, just regarded as some kind of an old crank, and he was jailed. The government found it uh, inconvenient to uh, to have him walking through the streets and predicting doom, and they held a trial. They were even going to execute him. But the elders prevailed and said, after all, he was uh, a prophet of God, and so he was jailed. But what he had predicted came out. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar attacked, the Babylonians attacked, they destroyed the temple, and they carried off virtually the whole nation, all of the talented and skilled men of Israel, back to Babylon. They burnt the temple, they tore it down, and virtually left nothing standing. It must have been quite a job. Those stone constructions, 34 acres, but uh, they, they tore them down. Jeremiah was still in jail. He was not considered worthy to carry off by the Babylonians. He was left to die in a Jerusalem jail. And uh, there he wrote uh, his timeless book of Lamentations in his sorrow and grief. Nebuchadnezzar uh, destroyed the temple on the 9th of Av in the year 586 B.C. Av is the Jewish month corresponding to uh, July or August, and this date comes up again in Jewish history, the 9th of Av. The construction of the second temple was a much more difficult uh, proposition than the first. Of course, these were not the happy times of Solomon when 
Israel was a great nation. The Jews had been released from Babylon by uh, King Cyrus of Persia, who had been successful in a war with Babylon. And uh, they came back to a desolate Jerusalem, which Isaiah and Jeremiah had foreseen. And they took to reconstructing the temple immediately. Uh, the book of Ezra recounts how Zerubbabel and Joshua rebuilt uh, a smaller temple in very hard times. They had to hold a sword in one hand and a brick in the other, the builders. The Samaritans were on the scene. But they did succeed in building a temple, but it was smaller. And uh, the old men, the patriarchs who had survived the internment in Babylon, and who must have been in their 90s, cried on the scene. They felt that uh, the new temple wasn't anything like the old one. It, it was too small. But Haggai, the prophet, promised in the voice of the Lord, I will fill this house with glory. And, of course, this was the very temple in which Jesus Christ uh, taught the Word of God. Well, that temple survived for centuries. Uh, it was built uh, about 515 B.C., and uh, in the generation before the birth of Christ, King Herod began improvements to it. He uh, thought it was too small, and he had built other big buildings, mainly Greek architecture, throughout Israel. And he felt that the temple should be uh, a match for the, the other buildings that he had made, and he attempted to make it a masterpiece. And he did uh, add quite a bit, although he added Corinthian uh, pillars, and uh, he put the detested eagle of Rome on the main entrance, which defied the Jewish prohibition against graven images. In any case, this was the temple in which Jesus Christ walked, and the one which he unfortunately had to predict the demise of. In the uh, stirring passage where he refers to the future in his O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he says, Thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. That passage is Matthew 23, 37 to 24, 1. There, Jesus, standing directly in the temple, predicted its destruction because, again, of superficial worship and irreverence. We know from reading the Gospels of the superficial worship done in the temple by the Pharisees, the systems of gifts and money changing and so forth, and, of course, we know the Jewish nation as a whole rejected the Messiah, and so they were to suffer the loss of the temple a second time. And Jesus said to his disciples just after that scene, there will not be left here one stone upon another. And unfortunately, he was right. Titus, the Roman conqueror, came in 70 AD, some 40 years or so after Jesus had ascended, and completely demolished the temple again. It was a terrible, terrible battle. More than a million Jews were killed in that siege. 
They took more military casualties than the United States has lost in all of her wars, of all of her history, in that terrible battle where they lost the temple. And that loss of the temple was on the 9th of Av, 70 A.D. The 9th of Av is now a national festival. It has been since that time when the Jews realized that they lost both of their temples on the same calendar day of the year. The holiday is called Tisha B'Av, the Day of Sorrow. And perhaps we should all remember the lesson of Tisha B'Av that God requires adherence to the faith. Well, after that temple was gone, the Jews began to disperse throughout the world. In 135 AD, Hadrian, the Roman Empire Emperor, put the temple of Jupiter, a pagan temple, up on the uh, Temple Mount. It was a very unfeeling thing to do, but he was determined to wipe out Judaism and the ruins of the Christian holy place and to dominate the world with the pagan Roman culture. Then came the Dome of the Rock. Some say it was superimposed on this temple of Jupiter and that the same pillars are inside. The dome has lasted until the present day. Uh, we described how it was uh, taken by the Crusaders and used for a church uh, for a time, but was always recovered by the Moslems. And this brings us, so far as temple stories go, to our present time. Now the Dome of the Rock is on the temple site, and the Jews are trying or thinking of rebuilding their temple in the manner that they thought of it in Babylon. Daniel the prophet prayed 70 years for freedom and for restoration of Jerusalem and the temple, and other devout Jews are joining him in this day and age, praying again for the restoration of the ancient temple. The thesis of our book and film and of this tape is that the temple will be rebuilt. It will stand on that site where the Dome of the Rock is now. It'll be a mighty house of God, consecrated, equal to those illustrious forerunners of the past built by Solomon and Herod, that the Antichrist will come and will enter that temple and declare himself to be God that this will bring on the Armageddon and the return of Jesus to the earth where he will sweep away this tribulation temple and replace it with the millennial temple, his own house on the earth. Thank you. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. This concludes Side B. For additional information concerning Liberation Tapes, Write to us at Post Office Box 6044, Lubbock, Texas, L-U-B-B-O-C-K, Lubbock, Texas, 79413, or contact your local Christian bookstore.